I was coaching so many people and they were so sad and they were so disgusted with themselves. But it broke my heart that there were all these people just not feeling seen, just wondering what is really wrong with me. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, we are going to jump right in with episode 86 in which I interview Dr. Tamara Rosier. Dr. Rosier is the founder of the ADHD Center of West Michigan, where she and her staff work with individuals with ADHD and their families to learn strategies and develop new skills to live effectively with ADHD. She's also the president of the ADHD Coaches Organization and author of Your Brain's Not Broken, Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions and Life with ADHD. Now, I listened to her book a few months ago, and immediately it went straight to the top of our Women in ADHD Recommended Resources list because I just love her mission to destigmatize ADHD and teach her readers how to reframe their view of themselves and their brains. The book beautifully weaves her personal experiences and struggles with her ADHD with so many really useful and practical strategies for navigating ADHD in a way that really sticks with you as a reader or listener. So yeah, I'm a big fan of her work and was thrilled when her PR team reached out to me to see if I'd like to interview her for this podcast. And not only was I shocked that they even knew this podcast existed, but I was ecstatic to learn that she is actually a fan of the podcast. Now, we also just so happened to be studying Your Brain's Not Broken in the online community in a book club that was being run by Julia Edwards, who is a licensed therapist and ADHD specialist, when this interview was arranged. And I knew Jules would be thrilled at the opportunity to get to sit down with Dr. Rosier as well. So this interview has myself, Dr. Rosier, and Julia Edwards, too. The three of us talk a lot about the book, and there's one part where we directly discuss Dr. Rosier's Solve It Grid, which as a listener might be a little bit confusing if you haven't yet read the book, so I've included a link to a short article that she wrote about the Solve It Grid in my episode show notes, which should give you a little bit more context. We also talk about the many misconceptions about ADHD in the medical field, and we discuss the all-or-nothing approach we can have to task management and some of the healthy and not so healthy ways in which we tend to motivate ourselves. I loved this conversation. I hope you do too. Enjoy. Okay. So I guess, uh, you know, I'm really curious. You're very open about your own ADHD and you're also a, you know, a prolific writer and a PhD and you've, you're running this, uh, the ADHD center. And so, but I'm curious about your personal story. Like when, how old were you, first of all, when you were diagnosed and what was, what was going on in your life at the time that kind of led you to really think this was ADHD? Well, I wasn't diagnosed until much, much later in life. Uh, but you know, I was a an undergrad, I was in teacher preparation. And so I was studying to be a secondary English teacher. And by the way, I have a I have allergies today. And of course, I spent all day outside because it's lovely. <laughs> uh, and so I sound much more nasally than my Midwestern <laughs> accent even suggests. So I apologize to everyone who has to listen to my voice today, including me. But anyway, uh I just remember uh, in an undergrad class, I took a class called mainstreaming. And that was a class in response to the IDEA Act that um, everyone needs to be uh, put in the least restrictive, all students need to be put in the least restrictive environment. And I read in the textbook that there's this thing called attention deficit disorder. And it wasn't ADHD back then, it was just ADD. And I read it and I remember thinking, well, golly, this sounds familiar. And so I called my dad and I said, dad, do you think I could have something like this? And his response was, no, everyone has that. <laughs> and, and he was partially correct. Everyone in my family does have ADHD. Mm -hmm. Both mother and father have ADHD. 
both my grandparents, both my grandfathers had ADHD and I can trace it back several generations. So uh, then I now fast forward, I found out that I absolutely loved teaching high school, but I really, instead of teaching honors courses, they were okay. I loved teaching the at-risk kids. And guess who made up the at-risk population? ADHD folks. And I found out, I just kind of had, I spoke their language and I still didn't, you know, I I forgot that conversation, but I just knew that I knew how to teach those with ADHD and I could be successful. Um, And it wasn't until in my forties that I started to really understand the, the true impact of how ADHD affected me. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think is, it's interesting because so many times when I talk to women who are diagnosed in adulthood, it's not the attention issue. It's not the hyperactivity issue. It's the emotional issue, right? It's, it's once we start to really look into, you know, the, the dysregulate, the emotional dysregulation, especially like as parents or, you know, the rejection sensitive dysphoria in relationships or the shame and and the feelings of failure at work. Like those are the emotional elements that, um, I think we, we really cling on to and really kind of hits home for us. And, and, and none of that is in the DSM. Like, it doesn't seem like that's the conversation around ADHD. Right. At all for most, especially in the medical community. Right. I, you know, I heard, well, you can't have ADHD. You're smart. And any time anyone tells a woman, oh, you can't have ADHD, you're smart. Inside, the woman probably thinks, oh, I'm faking it. Because I simply can't be that smart and do all the things that I do in a day that look like just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, it, it was an emotional dysregulation for me. It's truly... Um, just stereotypical forgetfulness. Um, I look careless. I look um, flaky. You know, all the judgments we want to put on people uh, with ADHD. I look like that. And it's because of my ADHD. I think it's about time for it that I make a confession on the podcast because we've made it through six minutes without one. Um, I threw my phone away the other day. In my defense, I wasn't fully medicated yet. I had a lot of things in my hand and I was taking it to the trash and I just emptied my, the contents of my hand in the trash. And, you know, I got in busy with my clients. Four hours later, I realized, you know, I have not seen my phone for a while. I checked my Apple watch because I have find my phone like every good ADHD person should, but it wasn't ringing. I couldn't figure it out. It was on the map. I'm like, well, maybe I turned off the sound. I was quite the sleuth. And I, all I can say is I'm grateful that the trash, um, the trash was out by the curb, which is why I couldn't hear it. And fortunately, the trash collectors were late that day. Oh, my goodness. I know. So, you know, that's where I think a, a special providence looks over us, who those of us who have ADHD. So 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny hearing you say that story because the same thing happened to me, not with my phone, but with my medical insurance card. Oh, yes. I think some papers, like, it had that moment, like, I know it's here somewhere. I know it's here. And then, like, after like an hour or so of that desperation and frustration, it's like, I, it occurred to me, like, should I check the trash? Because right. I did throw away some, had to th- get everything out. And there it was. Well, and then you think, what kind of lunatic would throw it away? And I'm not calling you a lunatic, uh, Julie. I did look like a lunatic when I was yeah. looking for it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right? And, and then I'm questioning my own sanity. I'm like, what just happened? Mm-hmm. So I simply can't be smart and do stuff like this. And that's, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was just speaking with a fourth year medical resident who had was going through when she had been going through her diagnostic testing. It also she also realized that she had a significant math learning disability, as as many of us do. And right. she she made that similar comment, which was like, here I am. I am a doctor and I can't make change at a 
restaurant. And it's like, why do you assume you just because you're smart at one thing that you have to be smart at other things? And I've heard you talk about this on other interviews, right? This this sort of fallacy that we must be consistently brilliant at everything. <laughs> well, and, and let's face it, we do have societal demands being a female and being a professional female to look like we have every angle covered. And it's not fair but we kind of buy the lie there and go, well, clearly I have to be extremely proficient at every, anything I do. Right. Which is what is so frustrating about being told by doctors, like you did well in school, so you can't possibly have ADHD or you're running a successful business. So you can't possibly have it. And it's like, well, at what cost? Like you, how do I even begin to explain to you the work I have done in order to, in order to, to, to get this far? Yeah. It takes a lot of effort to pull off normal. And that's, that's why I get so tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then you get an A, but then did you, you procrastinated probably. So you're sleep deprived. You probably ate like crap. And you know, it's, that's a lot. That's a tax that is very high that we have to pay with simple things and people never get to see that. Right. You know? So it's like, Oh, you have straight A's. You have a 4.0. You're brilliant. You can have ADHD. Okay. <laughs> You know, I met, I had a wonderful opportunity uh, a couple of weeks ago. I met with a friend from undergrad and, you know, since I outed myself as ADHD, you know, I, uh, she is a high school teacher and she, one of her students did a book report on my book and she contacted me and said, is this the same Tamara? Like, let's get together for coffee. This is so wonderful. And she's a delightful human. And she just looked at me, she said, I had no idea that you had ADHD. And I said, well, that's because I used you as my pace car. So she's neurotypical. Whatever Gina did, I looked over and went, well, that seems practical. And did it myself. And so, you know, a lot of women especially are masking their symptoms by kind of using someone else as a pace car. Like, I'll just copy what this person does. This looks normal to me. 100%. Oh my God. I relate to that <laughs> so much in, right? in many ways, like in school, like, let me see what other people are doing because like, I have no clue what the hell is going on right now. So it's like, oh, okay. this, this seems promising. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yellow highlighter. Got it. I can get one of those. Right. I was one of those students that went off to college without any study skills whatsoever or even kind of an understanding that I needed to study that somehow I I didn't understand how that occurred. And uh, yeah, so I had to find pace cars. I like that term. (laughs) You know, it's a NASCAR term and I don't watch NASCAR, but it just makes sense to me. (laughs) But my, my students who do watch NASCAR assure me that's, that's the right usage. Yeah, they, they use it on running too. Like they have the pacers, like when you're in a race, right? Oh, so oh I like that. Pacers, is like, and they just hold up a little thing like to let you know what speed they are running. So if you want to run like a certain mile at a certain time, and then you follow the pacers, because then you'll know that that'll be a consistent you oh, know, wow. way of like running the, the race and you can join different ones. However, you're hey, feeling. That's even better. That's mm-hmm. an even better metaphor because, yeah. you know, we're not consistent runners. Exactly. We'll sprint, lie down for a while, sprint, lie down for a while. So. Yeah, that's kind of what came to mind too. It's like, oh, I and like it's interesting. That. Yeah, because yeah. you had the pacers, right? But then what if you feel super tired at some point? It's like, oh God, okay, like I, you can't keep up. You tried, you can't keep up. And then you have to like find another one, yeah. another group or, but yeah, that feeling of constantly feeling like behind, it's, you feel well, it at your core. Mm-hmm. And it embarrassed that we feel behind, right? Huh. Um, mm-hmm. At least at least for me, there's two things that I get embarrassed about. One, just those absurd mistakes that, that are just ridiculous. Where someone would say, aren't you paying attention? Right? Mm-hmm. And the answer is like, no, I'm <laughs> medicated for that. But that's a different. Um, but the other thing I'm embarrassed about, I'm embarrassed how tired I am all the time. And instead of being rational going, well, yeah, you do a lot. I am embarrassed that I require a lot of sleep. I mean, I'm an eight and a half hour gal 
And my ADHD brain needs that time to declog all of the information I took in that's absolutely useless. And so I need that time, that cleansing cycle. Yeah. And I've had so much more grace with myself too, since my diagnosis about, you know, realizing, um, when I am having those down days where I'm like, what is wrong with me? I am so tired. I just cannot get motivated. And then I remember, oh, well, that's because you just spent the last 72 hours, you know, rebuilding a website or doing something new or creating a course or like something, you know, where I've been like super, you know, um, you know, in that hyper-focused mode. And then, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense that you're recharging. But it is, you know, it doesn't, it, the impulse to want to be the energizer bunny at all times doesn't go away. <laughs> no. And I love that you said you found grace for yourself. I, it's, it's funny. I always have to find grace for myself. Okay. By the way, I know the concept. <laughs> I get it. I'm a coach. I tell people about it, but I forget to apply it to myself. Yeah. And forget is literally the word, right? It's not that it, you know, I've de- kind of dealt with my self-loathing. It's literally, I forget. Oh no, that's reasonable. You can, you can show grace here. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I had a wonderful moment today when, it, you know, it's getting warmer and I'm just like, so done with cooking the, anything that involves the oven. And so I'm like, Oh, it's time to move on to new recipes that involve the grill. And I had, it, you know, it was the first time that I had to admit to my husband, or at least had a language for it where I was like, I have to be taught every spring how to use the grill because I, I literally forget, you know, <laughs> it's like sewing. I could never sew because every time I brought the sewing machine out, I had to like rewatch YouTube videos about my 50 year old sewing machine. And I was like, it's really literally just learning from scratch over and over and over again a lot of the time. You know, that that's so that's so true. <laughs> and I think just that you just said, hey, I just this is what I need. Right? Yeah. I, I write notes to my future self because, you know, I'll think, okay, now in the spring, I want to do this to the yard. And so I'm like, dear future self, remember to seed this part of the lawn because otherwise I'll forget. Wait a whole nother year and it'll just slip by. So I'm constantly writing how to's for my future self. I love that. And unless you learn by experience, it's really hard to get back to it. You know, like if you don't physically do the steps to use the grill, if, you know, if somebody just explains to me, like, this is how you do it, but you're just saying words to me, there is no visuals. You're not saying like, I checked that out, you know, two seconds after you started giving me directions or instructions. <laughs> That's just what happened. Here's the thing though, I can actually do it and still forget. Oh yeah, same. <laughs> it's like, consistency. Right. Well, it's like past cameras like, I'm sorry, we're not gonna help any of you guys out. And it's just a mm-hmm. and, and to be truthful, I really thought that's why I just wasn't as smart as other people. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I know. I remember getting so angry with my mother when I had a fir- had my first baby because she came to help and I was asking her things like, you know, what do I do? Is this the normal color of poop and all of these things that you ask when you have a baby? <laughs> and she was like, I don't know. Like the last time I had a baby was 30 years ago. And I was like, I can't believe you don't remember anything. Then I had another baby four years later and forgot had already forgotten everything. And I had to call her and apologize and be like, yeah, I, I get it now. Like you don't remember any of this stuff. I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference Help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash women ADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. 
And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. One of the things, one of the things I loved about your book, many things I've loved about your book, and, and why it kind of immediately became one of our recommended books and why we wanted to study it in the community was just that how important it is to sort of reframe these needs and these these realities in our life and, and how important it is to realize that this is there's no judgment here. It's really just about what, you know, this is our wiring. This is we you know, we just need to figure out what is the best way to succeed and not kind of like what I used to do, which is fall into the a fetal position, wondering what is wrong with me. Um, right. And so I think, you know, just, just starting from there, starting from that basic concept, of like your brain is not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. I love that too. I mean, I sort of, I think I read the first paragraph and there was like a quote there. I was literally in tears because you feel so seen. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's so true. Like it's so impactful because it's like you, you feel it, you experience, but then to read it and someone else has written those words, like that is incredible to me. Like, and it just makes you feel, well, not alone. Right. And the reframing is huge for me. And like the metaphors was another one. Love it. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that. I, here's why this means so much. I was coaching so many people and they were so sad and they were so disgusted with themselves. And it just broke my heart. Um, by the way, it is okay for me to be mean to me. You know, I have a double standard, right? I just want to confess that because I still work every day. I have to confront myself on that, but it broke my heart that there were all these people just not fe feeling seen just wondering what is really wrong with me. And so I wrote it to all the clients I don't have just mm -hmm. to go, it's okay. You're okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Just like the, that validation, you know, to find the language, to find the words, but then just to be like, hey, it's okay. You don't have to try to be neurotypical, you know, like it's okay that that's not going to work for you because the tools that you learn, once they work for you, then it's like, you're unstoppable once you find your own, way of doing things, the, the same things that everyone else is doing, but your own way, you know, just so, be authentic. What do you guys think about this? And I just, I, I'd love to hear what you say. I know I'm supposed to be interviewed, but you know, <laughs> I, uh, my clients always ask me, um, will it get easier? What do mm. you guys think about that? <sighs> I, well, I'm a therapist, so I never answer questions. <laughs> You just ask more. I just reflect back your your question with a different question right. that makes you think about it. <laughs> right. But do you think it does get easier? I absolutely think it gets easier. I think, you know, for me, I mean, and I am the last person to stand up and say ADHD is a superpower. Uh, you know, I, you know, this podcast is all about the very, very real difficulties and struggles and, and how isolating it can be and kind of, you know, the importance of sharing our stories and, and reducing the stigma and the, the shame around, you know, some of these lived experiences. But I, for me, the reframing has made, you know, for the first time in my life as an adult woman, I don't feel like a trash human being. And, and that has been yeah. so radical in terms of everything. Like it's, it's affected who I am as a partner. It's affected who I am in my business. It's affected my, who I am as a mother and as a child. Like it's just affected so many aspects of my life yeah. that it, it, 
I mean, obviously life is still really hard and we are really full of big emotions <laughs> and, and it's, you know, there's a, I still will spend three days in the same pants and wonder, oh God, like I still feel stuck a lot of the time. Right. Um, and you know, and then I'm like, why am I admitting this on a podcast? But that's a whole other issue. But then, you know, um, but, but it's still like, you know, I, it's the grace, like, it's just realizing the context of all of that and the behaviors is so, has been so important that I think that has only made, um, everything easier. I mean, at the end of the day, I still have ADHD and I still, you know, like, uh, yeah. and I keep saying that and, and, but you know, it, I do feel like it gets easier. Um, but I haven't reached, you know, I haven't gone through menopause yet. So who knows? Maybe I might, I might call you back and change your, and <laughs> change my answer. Life. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like that, my, my throwback question though would be like, well, you know, like what, how would easier look like to you? How would that uh, look like in your life? Because, well done therapist. Right. Well very, done. very good. That's my response to you. So like, if that's, you know, sometimes people have this unrealistic idea that we're going to cure or get rid of ADHD. We're going to get rid of our depression. We're going to get rid of our anxiety. And right. then we're still going to experience that because we're human beings. We're, we're feeling beings who, you know, we're constantly thinking and overthinking. Right. But life continues to happen. We're going to experience loss. We're going to experience change. And with that, they, it comes all of these emotions that can be a whirlwind with someone with ADHD because they get magnified. So easier will look like for you completely different than what it would look like for me. And, but it, it's worth it, right? It gets, it gets better. It gets manageable. So once you learn that, okay, like that's why I love the chapter in the book about the monsters. Love it. And I've used that with my clients so much because yes, we're not going to get rid of the monsters. We can keep them away, right? right? We can, we can keep them far away. They'll, they'll get closer every now and then, and that's okay, but what's your monster spray? What do we have in there, right? To me, it's like, okay, how do I ground? How do I use the scoping skills for this level of anxiety that I have, and then I'll grab my spray for that. But right. I, I love analogies, and it's a way to communicate with other people, so it's, it really depends on your own perspective of how you see things, too. Mm-hmm. Thanks for liking that chapter. That was, I, mm-hmm. when that little girl came into the office, I'm just, I'm, I'm writing the chapter as we're working. <laughs> and it was one of those moments like, oh no, this is too good. This is too good. And I have to tell you that I went home, wrote that chapter because it was, mm-hmm. she was just so precocious. And so and she was just studying me with every ounce of her energy. And she's a smart little girl. Yeah, and I, I absolutely love that. I think it's one of my favorites. Well, it's hard to choose a favorite, but it is because like for adults, you know, we have such a, like a silly mindset and I try like, that that also works and my clients have loved that. And, you know, just to think of the innocence of a child and then when she described, you know, when she goes to bed, of course, like my adult thing, of course, it's, it's bedtime. You're understimulated. If you're on medication, it's not working anymore. You know, I'm bored when I go to sleep. Like to me, it's like so pointless because why would I lay there in bed just waiting for something to happen? It's so boring. (laughs) Spoken like a true ADHD person right there. Yes. (laughs) Yep. And so the monsters is like, what is the catastrophizing thoughts, the intrusive thoughts that come to your mind because you're understimulated. So then you can, you need that for stimulation. It's weird. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I feel like somebody needs to write a book about all the ways in which the H in ADHD is manifested internally because I, you know, and I one of the reasons why I didn't, you know, f- you know, my therapist was suggesting to me for a while that I look into it and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not hyper. I will lie on the couch in a depressive state for days. So I would like felt like my I'm lazy, quote unquote, uh and unmotivated, which to me was the opposite of hyper. I didn't realize that they were actually quite well connected, right? And and that's some some of the things that you write about in the book too in terms of like ways in which we motivate ourselves, right? And and even just the catastrophizing thoughts and like all of these really fascinating ways that I'm learning to understand how we use hyperactivity, uh, you know, either to our advantage or against us. Um, 
Yeah. And so I, so yeah, and then I guess it's a two-part question. If you wanted to talk to about kind of that and, and the, the man, you know, that, that manufactured urgency that we sometimes have, uh, you know, that is often ends up being anxiety, but then I'm also loved, you know, I found like the whole part about malicious motivations and, you know, the, and procrastination and, you know, all of that was just like, it's been mind blowing to me. I think about it all the time. So can you kind of, for the sake of anyone who hasn't yet read the book and, and might be thinking about it, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, it's funny. Uh, people I meet will say, you know, I have just AD, ADD. I don't have the age. And I always, I, I never do it, but in my head, I pat them on their head and go, oh, honey, there's always an age. <laughs> I don't because that's just my silly brain working. But I say the age is silent. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I love that. Uh, you should make a t-shirt of that one. Right? That's good. Uh, so a lot of times we motivate ourselves uh, by concocting, and you guys know this, um, but for your listeners, um, by concocting great big amounts of emotional energy. And so uh, there's, uh, I write about six basic ones. Um, but just to run through them, uh, anxiety is an easy one that we all know. If we don't want to do something, just turn up the anxiety, set it on fire, and we'll do that. We know it. <laughs> yeah, right? Especially women. And, you know, by now, um, listening to your podcast, women know that if people are saying, hey, you, you have a high anxiety, you've already talked with them about, uh, you know, check out the ADHD component, because a lot of women present with anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, something that people don't know that is a motivational, bad motivational hack that we do is avoidance. And avoidance, um, is it, uh, let's see, who calls it procrastivity? Um, it's, it's um, oh goodness, uh, Russell Ramsey calls it procrastivity. And wish I would have thought of that word because that was genius. Right. And that's what avoidance is. It's, wow, I have this big term paper to, paper to write. So I'm just going to go clean a sock drawer instead. And then you keep opening that sock drawer going, huh? But look at that sock drawer. Everything is <laughs> colors, right? right? Color. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, so a lot of times we'll use, we'll create enough energy to, but we'll divert the energy at the wrong time. And, and remember, we're all always trying to, you know, concoct that energy. So procrastination is a combination of avoidance plus uh, the anxiety. So we ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. Oh, no, it's on fire. And you've got yourself a beautiful procrastination. Um, you know, I always have to re reassure my clients, I'm not going to take that away from you. I know that that's what you believe works best. We'll just keep working on something else until um, you can let it go. Uh, anger is another one. Uh, in the book, I write about the man who picked a fight with his, or at least I thought I wrote about it, um, picked a fight with his wife um, about the garage so that he could just go out and clean the garage. Oh, I, oh, I call that rage cleaning. I do it. It's, it's wonderful. It's the best way to clean the bathroom, getting to fight it with my husband. I will oh. rage clean all day. Katie, <laughs> your confessions today are genius and I love it. Thank you. Because rage cleaning is a thing, right? Yeah. Yes. Because you're just whipping yourself up as you're doing it. So leveled you know, you're going to grab a toothbrush and clean the cracks of like the tiles. Yes. That's the type of rage cleaning. Like, yeah. While you're mumbling, right? right? Oh, While yeah. you're mumbling, like, well, if he does it, rah, 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 right? You're just concocting that energy. Um, the last two motivational um, tricks aren't healthy ones, and they're really sad. Uh, one is shame. And when shame goes unchecked, it turns into self-loathing. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, well, we talk about that too, with like the pandemic, right? Like we all stopped cleaning our houses because nobody was coming over and, and how we view, you know, a lot of us use shame and judgment, um, as an, as a motivator for a lot of the things we do, right? Like I've talked about this on the podcast before about brushing our teeth, right. And how, like the week before you go to the dentist, you have to start madly brushing and you have to start yeah. madly flossing because if the hygienist sees that your gums are bleeding, then she's going to yell at you. And so so like you have to pretend you've been doing it really, you know, and, and, and like, I talked to my kids about that too, because, um, you know, I'll say to them, like, you've got a dentist appointment in a week. Like I totally buy into it. I'm like, you got a dentist appointment. You got to start really like, you know, going hard. And you know, all we're doing is just using the judgment of the hygienist. Well, okay. So let's take toothbrushing as a great example. Um, I, so Katie, you've done a, a lot, your fair share of, um, tell all. So I'll tell you something about me. The only reason I brush my teeth is so that they won't fall out. (laughs) Now, neurotypical people just brush your teeth. I do it out of a fear. Right. And I, when I went to the dentist, he said, well, you're, you have periodontal disease, which just sounds horrible. It sounds like I'm this close to losing all my teeth. And so immediately I had all the treatments done necessarily necessary. And then I'm just brushing. I got a special toothbrush. I rinse with special stuff and it's all Mm fear-based because when do I have to brush my teeth when I'm non-medicated in the morning? Mm -hmm. Well, Tamara, it's time to brush your teeth. I don't want to. Do you want your teeth to fall out? No, I'll brush my teeth. That's the conversation in my head every darn morning. Right. Every night. Uh, Maybe I can just skip it tonight. Tamara, do you want your teeth to fall out? No. Fine. I'll do it. God, I wish that could work on my kids. And, you know, my daughter even admitted, you know, when she was, she's a teenager now, but what I, she was very young when she talked to me about brushing her teeth and she said, mom, there's no immediate punishment and there's no immediate reward. And I was like, yeah, like at the time I was just like, that is so brilliant because it's true. Like it's really, there's nothing, you know, other than when you get old and you're, you're told you have periodontal disease, which I also have because I took terrible care of my teeth when I was little. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really, it's one of those things where you kind of have to be the grown up, quote unquote, every single day on this incredible incredibly mundane task. Yeah. Yeah. You know what motivated me as a kid to brush my teeth? It's those little things that you would scrunch up in your mouth after you brushed and red dye would stick to the carter. Yeah. I remember those. I was so, I mean, it was probably red dye 40 and probably, you know, did irreversible damage, but you know what? It was so motivating because I'm (laughs) like, I bet I can beat the dye. Um, Right. I remember that. That was really fun. That's funny. I mean, the 80s were simpler times. <laughs> Maybe we but, should go back to that. Yeah. Simpler times. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food or my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womeninadhd.com coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Okay. So sorry, I interrupted you. You were, you had said shame was one of the ones. And then there was a second self-loathing. Oh yes. Okay. And self-loathing is just, I usually by the time someone gets to my office and they're in their late thirties into their forties, they're on a pretty steady, steady diet of self-loathing. Um, and it's heartbreaking. And I have to tell you, I was on a steady diet of self-loathing. And guess what? I didn't, I didn't even know that was what it was called. 
I thought it was accountability, right? That's how far off the mark I was. Uh, <laughs> Julia, I'm making your heart break by that. But I really thought I was just holding myself accountable, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because I was in the same boat, but it's it, when you realize it's that and then just, you know, like the core shame, because I, I do a lot of like the shame informed therapy as well. And how that's a, that's a, the shame monster is a big one. It, so, you know, we all have our little chinks. So the sh- knowing where the shame's going to show up, mm-hmm. um, for instance, for me, the shame shows up the most for me if my ADHD affects someone else. Same for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've talked about that a lot on the podcast because so many of us are diagnosed with depression and or anxiety long before we we are diagnosed with ADHD. And, you know, it's interesting to me to think about it because, you know, I was diagnosed with depression in university and, and you know, 20 years kind of dealing with that self-loathing and, and realizing now in hindsight, you know, often asking, was I depressed or was it ADHD? Did I just feel broken? You know, right. and, and most of the time, most of the time that I went for help and, and went back on SSRIs, went back on antidepressants was because I felt like I was a bad wife or a bad mother. You know, like I felt like I was not in control of my behaviors and my behaviors were wrong. And, you know, according to everybody around me and I felt out of control and I'm like, that doesn't feel like depression, right? That feels that like this, you know, because we also talk about sort of you know, depression feels like a lack of desire a lot of the time. And we have an abundance of desire. We have, we're overflowing with desire. We just lack the executive function. We lack the ability to carry out, you know, all of these things we want to do. And it's, it's that disconnect that makes us feel so, so broken, you know, just to use that word again, like, you know, um, and and then we feel like, well, we need these medic. We, you know, we need to fix ourselves for the sake of the people around us. But often it's, often it's sort of in relation, I guess, like you were saying, like it's in relation to the people we love. Yeah. I, that's where my shame pops up the most. Yeah. Yeah. And they see that like as the problems, right. But then it's like depression and anxiety, you know, so that's like the bread and butter of the therapy world, but that most of the time, <laughs> those are not the problems. Like what is fueling your depression? What is fueling your anxiety? Because that is a symptom, right? So that's like when that clicked with me, just like what Katie was saying, it was, you know, I'm feeling like a failure and unfulfilled and disappointment all the time because my work is not done. The paperwork is not done. And I have piles and piles of that. And my body is just not moving. And I come home and I don't feel fulfilled because I haven't completed any Right. So of course you start like that horrible, like self-loathing or, you know, like with the shame and of course you're going to feel depressed and anxious that you have the paperwork there or whatever it is, you know, that you struggle with. And it, people still think they're like, no, it's probably just depression. No, it's probably just anxiety. Like, uh, nope, no, this is what's happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to get out of the cycle. <laughs> it really is. It's so wonderful to hear a therapist understand that. Um, you're pretty special for knowing that and really hitting that home with your clients because it's, um, I, I, I work with so many people who said, well, well, like Katie said, my, my therapist just get, well, no, your, your th- therapist kept pointing you there. Yeah. She was diagnosed with ADHD oh, be- because of her middle schooler was diagnosed with ADHD. Then she was. And then, you know, once you get diagnosed, you start looking around and kind of cherry picking who you yeah. think has it. And oh, so yeah, she yeah. started suggesting to me that I, I should look into it. And I was sort of insulted. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but yeah. So many of my clients have seen therapists and the therapists say you can't have ADHD. Oh yeah. And technically they're correct according to the DSM. Oh, correct? the DSM. That yeah. thing is just collecting dust in my office. I'll, I'll yeah. It's woefully behind. Yeah. I think that is by far the most, you know, the most frustrating um, comment I get in my DMs all the time whenever, you know, in, in various accounts and emails from women who had the same, where they're just like, they finally went to their doctor seeking a diagnosis. They finally, for the first time in their lives, they're connecting the dots. They're feeling like, oh my goodness, this could be the answer for everything. And 
they're just like shut down at the doctor's office and they're told you, you know, all the, all the myriad reasons why you can't possibly have this. And my personal favorite is you can't have this because you didn't have it as a child. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous logic. It really is. Yeah. 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 It's true. And it's heartbreaking. And like, I'm like very justice driven, right? So whenever I feel like people have been treated unfairly or, you know, because I did have a client and that experience, like she experienced that and the doctor was very dismissive and it was a psychologist who does testing and was, it didn't even take like an hour. I think it was more than not even 20 minutes. I was like, no, it's just trauma. Like you need to do this and that. And it's like, oh. Be ADHD. I'm like, oh my God. And I have been meeting with this person for a year and a half now. And it's like, I recognize impulsivity. You know, that's the thing about having ADHD and being a therapist or being a coach or being in whatever field, you know what to look for and where to look for it. Right. Been consistently meeting with someone like, you know it at your core too. It's like, oh my goodness. Like I, I can understand that wanting to prescribe stimulants to somebody who also deals with bipolar. Sure. Because, Absolutely. but the approach is the therapy and the validation that someone gets out of that diagnosis. Right. Only if you have ADHD, you would probably know and understand that, right? So yeah. it's, it's sad that professionals were still dealing with some of that stuff. And I think education is such a big thing for me, right? Like contributing to that. Even, yeah. you know, I've even come across parents who report their, that their pediatrician said, uh, well, you know, aren't you, consider, aren't you concerned that your child's going to become addicted to their stimulant? Oh my gosh, that's another and, one. <laughs> you know, yeah. And one one parent who is a nurse said, "How come you know more as an ADHD coach about meds?" Which I don't, guys. I'm not an MD, right? Mm-hmm. How do you know more than you know my doctor? I'm trying to get medication, I, yeah. and it's it's sad. So when I that's why um, you know Julia, I say that comment to you. It's like. It is wonderful to have ADHD-informed practitioners who really know ADHD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a question I have all the time because, you know, I often sometimes feel like I'll get, like, really caught up and 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 very like befuddled over ADHD because I'm like, wait a minute, what are we even talking about here? Because sometimes it feels like when we are talking about ADHD, we're talking about a neurodivergent brain and we're talking about the brain wiring and the neurotransmitters and all of the ways in which, you know, our thoughts are unique. But when a medical professional is talking about ADHD, they're only talking about the kind of character flaws or traits or behaviors that have arisen yes. from, from being in an environment that is not necessarily you know, a, a hostile environment to your, to your brain. And so I'm like, I feel like, you know, it, it's very confusing because oftentimes like when you're having, you know, a great, when you're having a great day and your ADHD is wonderful and you're leaning in and you're finding tools and everything, it's wonderful. But I think ADHD is still looked at by the, by the majority of the medical community as something that is just like a list of, uh, of, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like, you know, negative traits. Bad. Yeah. Bad characteristics. Right. And, and then I'm like, well, what are we, is that what ADHD is? Like, what are we even talking about? <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is why I always ask everybody, you know, what, if you could rename ADHD to something that's a little less confusing, uh, what would you call it? So I, I I'm going to put that out to you, out to you, Tamara, what would you call it? Well, this isn't less confusing. It's just what I would prefer to call it. It's too much attention disease. Because <laughs> it's actually a disease. I want to know everything all the time. I'm paying attention to everything. You know, a cat just walked by the w- window and it took all my efforts, like focus on this conversation. Look, cat, focus on the conversation. Um because immediately I have 50 questions about that cat. Where did that cat come from? Whose cat is it? Boy, that's a weird thing on its tail. You know, that's where I'm paying attention to so many things at once. So that's why I say too much attention disease. I agree. I know. I, I definitely always felt like attention deficit. That never made any sense to me because I felt like I had an abundance uh, of attention. It was just you know, when we've talked about this too in other episodes, you know, it's the regulation of attention that is the issue. Of everything. That's that's just what ADHD is to me. Like we just have problems with regulation. 
because that is either with hyperfocus or we get distracted because it doesn't interest us once you understand your nervous system. But then like the emotions, we're either in hyperarousal mode for too long because we lack that interception, suddenly boom, a down yeah. and we're in hyperarousal. It's the all or nothing. It's really hard to stay in the middle with so much. So it's really regulation because when we're passionate about something, my God, you're going to give it your full attention. But then what happens? Where did this regulation come from? You're going to forget to eat, go to the bathroom, probably drink your water, you know, like you're neglecting other parts that are also important. So it's, it's staying in that middle ground, right? Which cannot be perfect, but yeah. Well, with my clients, I talk about, you know, we have a toggle switch, like a light switch. It's either on or off and we don't have a dimmer switch. <laughs> and I wish we had a dimmer switch. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, nice. I coach myself sometimes, right? And so sometimes I'm like, okay, I was working in the yard on Saturday. I'm like, if I had a dimmer switch, what would I look like right now? And I'm like, you know what? I think I would do this and then rest. I'm like, wow, that sounds genius. You better set a timer to, so that you can remember this. So I always have to approximate a dimmer switch. I don't really have a dimmer switch. Yeah. I can, like, I don't know if you guys, if you did this as a kid, but did you ever play with a light switch when you were a kid and try to get it to balance in the center? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you for admitting that. I yes. love it. Oh, my God. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And by the way, I think that's an ADHD test in an, in and of itself. You could just say, have you ever played with a toggle switch to try to get into the middle? <laughs> if they say yes, you're like, okay, so we know you have ADHD. Um, I include those questions in my, when yeah. I'm assessing someone, like, I, when you were a kid. <laughs> yeah. Did you play with a toggle? What did you play with a toggle switch is probably even, um, yeah. Tells you a little bit. Right, but the DSM using questions like that, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't really get it in the middle. Mm-mm. And even medicated, you know, I have a little bit more of a range, but really the regulation, even medicated, isn't as natural. Um, a metaphor that I try not to use too much because the youngest generation won't understand it, but I grew up driving a stick shift, you know, four in the floor, old fashioned. Yep. And we, we have stick shift brains and we constantly have to consciously push down the clutch and shift. Mm-hmm. Other people just have automatic brains. They hop in the car, they turn the key and, and the engine just does it. And, and that's, so when we're teaching, when, when we're teaching our clients to shift, shifting is exhausting work and it's scary for us, especially when you're facing uphill. Right. And you know, right. Like we, we love to use the Sisyphus metaphor. Right. So, but like we could, (laughs) (laughs) but like, you know, I, you just brought back all those memories of learning how to drive because my father forced me to learn how to drive stick too. And like being, uh, you know, uphill in traffic, trying to be like, okay, here we go. Uh, yeah. I love that. It, it quickly kind of pushes like, like, yeah. <laughs> the break in the clutch, break in the clutch. What do I do? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, younger generations really needed that. Um, they needed a parent yelling at them while trying to <laughs> get a stoplight uphill. I think that's a growth experience. All of, all of it. Yeah. So do you, so do you think the goal is to just kind of live with grace in the um, sort of extreme pendulum or is it really about finding, finding the, the toggle switch balance? Cause that's something I work on a lot with my clients, which is like a lot of the time, sometimes what they want to do, we really have to talk about like, is this something you really want to do? Or is this something you feel like you should be the kind of person who does this and how much time are we going to waste being frustrated at ourselves because we aren't that person. (laughs) And like, why don't we start living our lives accepting that we aren't that person? So I'm curious, like, you know, what, what is the goal when to use the toggle switch metaphor? Well, first of all, Katie, wonderful coaching there (laughs) that you're like, is this who you think you have to be? I mean, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, Well, that's where um, I developed the grid. And it's not really fair to bring up the grid to people who can't see the grid. Um, But the idea is the grid kind of shows you here's where I am. And you choose where you are and then you 
you act for the moment where you are. And so it's, it's like, it's, but it's still, um, it's still only one of four choices. So it's still not the full volume control or the dimmer switch, right? Um, With a solvent grid, we're saying, okay, which quadrant do you want to be in and what action is it going to take? Right. So instead of choosing, instead of choosing like the balance, we're choosing where, where am I going to be? Which, which quadrant? Yeah, I love it. And I love the visual too. So that I think that helped a lot and just helps put things in perspective because with ADHD, I mean, we're very visual otherwise out of sight, out of mind. But that that is something that I use. And not just with my ADHD clients, but that is, you know, we have to-do lists, like endless to-do lists in our minds all the time. Yeah. And if we give them power, they're just going to continue to grow. So yeah. it's like in some of the things that are in those to-do lists that are in our minds all the time, that they're, they're not realistic to accomplish in a day. <laughs> so then I, what the question I ask, you know, is, you know, instead of like, checking those boxes, like, how do you want to feel? That's what I encourage my clients to ask themselves. And I, and I use that for myself, you know, quite a bit. It's like, how do I want to feel at the end of the day or at the end of this? And it's whatever answer you give it. Do I want to feel peaceful? Do you want to feel accomplished? Do I want to feel calm? Okay. So maybe trying to stop at the grocery store and getting all this paper and then this and this and that, it's not going to get me calm, that sense of calmness. So that's when you backtrack it. So it yeah. kind of applies to both of your perspectives, right? Like, if this is how you want to feel, then what do I need to do or change in order to get there? Right. And I think putting that in perspective on that grid is it's just great. You know, I want to be in the green, I want to have a little bit of the green, a little bit of everything. And, but yeah, it's just like the red. It's the red. Well, it, you know, and, and Katie, I, I'm hoping I'm not making your head explode by talking about something you're, that your listeners can't see, but it is something where we can choose where we are. Um, but it's still um, like a, it's um, a finite space. So it's not, we'll, we'll never dial in the one to a hundred, but we can get the one out of four kind of dialed in. Mm-hmm. Did that just makes sense what I just said. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. But I've read the book, so <laughs> I know, and I'm like, oh, sorry to your listeners, right there. You know, what I think, sort of in general, it's the same idea of like, what is gonna, how do I meet myself right now in, and right. not, you know, and and be okay with the fact that this might not work next week, but we're gonna work. What's good? It's what's gonna work today, and and that's great. And it doesn't matter if it's other things have worked for other people. We really have to focus on what's what works for me which I think is important. You know, that's what I really tried to do in the book. I tried not to say, here's the right way to do it because there is no right way. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I really wanted people to just encourage people to find their own way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I think that's one thing, again, you know, one of the things I loved about the book is how it's really, you you weave in your own personal experience throughout the book while also offering like really practical advice in terms of, you know, action steps, which I think it's such a nice balance too. But a lot of the time we need the why, we need that authentic why behind, you know, what what action steps are next. And, I, and oftentimes the authentic why comes from sharing vulnerable personal stories and, and you know, realizing like this was what happened to me and this is this is why it worked or didn't work. So, so yeah. Katie, let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> I said way too much in the book. I don't know what I was thinking. I got the proofs a couple weeks before it went to print and I panicked. And I, I said, you know what? I've said too much. We can't do this. Just drop everything. And um, I really did have kind of a crisis of vulnerability there. Um. Too much has been said. Like it was horrifying to me. Oh, I spent much of my life talking about how I felt like Sophia from the Golden Girls. Like I must have had a stroke because I have no sensor. And it wasn't until my diagnosis that I realized like why, you know, that sort of impulsive nature to be vulnerable and, and, and how like now I'm like, I'm using, I'm using my power for good instead of evil, because I feel like the more, the more I share about my own, you know, crazy 
you know, faulty, flawed life, right. the more I can help other people. And I'm, it's like, what a wonderful gift to have that verbal diarrhea. <laughs> well, it, yeah, but this was in writing. What <laughs> yeah, was true. I thinking? And I'm just sharing that because it was kind of an, it's kind of a sign of my ADHD. It's like, I just wrote this, not really realizing people would actually read it, not really realizing how vulnerable it was. And then, oh dear, mistakes <laughs> were made. And so, um, you know, you you think of yourself as Sophie. I think of myself as Lucy, as in Lucille Ball. Yeah. I'm like, this is another <laughs> fine mess you've gotten us into. You know, yeah. it, this is another, um, yeah, this is another situation. So I love that. Um, I love the book though. I think that's what makes it so great. <laughs> well, it, but it's funny that I just wasn't, mm-hmm. um, I, I just wasn't, I, honestly, I just wasn't as aware how vulnerable I was being until I read it in a book form, you know, when you get the prints back and it pages are set up. And by the way, editors are very careful to go, we don't change anything here. <laughs> me blotting out large sections of confessions that's not okay um and I just I think it's funny because I had the ADHD regret that I'm positive so many of your listeners they go to a party they're at work in the meeting of oh why did I say that and they kind of panic how, how did that was how is that going to be perceived and um yeah I I had it with writing and I just think it's a I think it's a hoot, actually. Like, that's also I- why I stopped drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Too many of those mornings. Uh, <laughs> it's such a necessary thing, and I'm, you know, like if we're having a bad day or we're feeling extra tired today, you always, go, well, what is it? Like, did I not get enough sleep? And you're just like trying to rationalize everything, and sometimes we forget that our bodies are stressed, and that's why. Like, can I, can I just? Focus? focus on just, you know, it's a bad day and I just want to feel calm. Right. But I was like, Oh, it's the hormones. Is it like, I'm like Sherlock Holmes, like looking at clues and investigating it. And, and as I investigate more, then I get more stressed out about not getting to the why. And it's like, maybe it's just a bad day. Right. Can I focus on maybe turning that around? Can I reframe that for myself and just be a little kinder? Uh, yeah, I know. I feel like people with ADHD have that special understanding of how many times they've been told you're overthinking it. You think too much. Stop overthinking. (laughs) You're like, I am not driving this car. (laughs) All right. So I just want to be mindful of the time and thank you so much. But I I also want to, you know, uh, have you tell our listeners like how they can find you or how they can work with you. I mean, we'll tell them, obviously have links to your book, but you also run an an ADHD center in Michigan and you are, um, the, in your president of the ADHD coaches organization. So how can people find you and more importantly, work with you? Uh, well, uh, the ADHD Center of West Michigan. Our website is miadhd.com. Um, and by the way, that's clever in two ways. We're in Michigan, and that's the abbreviation. So if you live in Michigan, you see MI everywhere. Um, and then it sounds like MIADHD. Uh, and that was just even a blind squirrel finds a nut for that one. That was a <laughs> coincidence that we got that one. Uh, so yes, uh, you can reach us through there. Um, my uh, author's page is tamarosier.com. And yeah. Awesome. I, and now is that an in-person center as well? I mean, what is what are the services? Is that kind of a, yeah. an all-in-one if you think you might have ADHD and you can get diagnosed and a treatment plan and... We actually have a brilliant staff. Uh, so we have therapists, uh, we have assessments. Um, one of our therapists uh, focuses on EMDR uh, used to treat trauma plus ADHD. Uh, we have ADHD coaches who coach from all ages, um, a speech pathologist who is very good at working with children with executive functions. Uh, executive function issues. So um, we have such a great time. And just one coach said to me last week, I can't believe I get to do this work. I know, right? Yeah. I love, I wish there was, I I hope people take the lead and and build more of these sort of all-in-one centers because it feels so important through this journey 
to feel like held and understood from beginning to end. You know, like so many times it's like, it's hard enough to just make a doctor's appointment, much less remember to get your meds. And like, it just feels like it's, you know, we, we often joke, like seeking a diagnosis feels like a full-time job sometimes managing, you know, managing the medical system feels like a full-time job. And so it's just, I love that whenever I hear about like centers where it's like from, you know, the minute you start out on the journey, you can sort of feel understood and taken care of. So thank you for that. Thank you. I didn't get a chance to say this, but I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. I think you're incredibly smart and very insightful. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm such a big fan. So I'm, I'm honored. And, um, yeah, like I said, we, we've been studying the book in the, in the community and it's always on the top of our recommended reading list for anyone who is either newly diagnosed or still kind of struggling with, with some of that reframing. It's such a great book. So thank you so much. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy, or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.